a reading from the Revelation to John. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were pills of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you and they will not leave with, within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, would you meet us now as we're here in this space, uh, this time of worship? As we open your scriptures, would you speak to us, and as it were, would you pull back the curtain of heaven and reveal to us something of this reality in which we live that we do not yet see, but through new eyes, would you enable us to behold your glory in our midst? We ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Do you ever wonder if God really hears you when you pray? Is it something you ever think about? Or do you ever struggle to believe uh, that God actually cares about all the evil and the injustice in the world and that God is really both able and willing to do something about it? Is that something you ever wonder about or, or struggle with? Well, I do. I'm sure most of you do. Many of you do. Because sometimes our experiences and our circumstances actually seem to say the opposite, don't they? Our own personal experiences of suffering or the heartbreaking stories that we hear from those we love the most or troubling events that we hear and read about in the news or even the unsettling notifications we receive about violence on our own neighborhood streets. Through all of these things, we're reminded 
that the world is not as it ought to be, and that neither we nor our loved ones are immune to its dangers. And so in that space of vulnerability, we struggle. We struggle to believe, we struggle to hope, we struggle to love and to forgive and to seek peace, and we struggle to pray, don't we? We struggle to pray because it can become very difficult to see how our prayers make any difference at all. Does God really hear my prayers? Well, the book of Revelation that we've been studying and this particular passage that we just read, they speak to our doubts and our struggles in a profound and powerful way. Maybe not in the way that we want, or at least the way we think we want, but they speak to those things, our struggles and our doubts, in a way that we deeply need them to speak to us. If you're anything like me, when you're wrestling with questions, you want answers, right? Like, how could a good and loving God let evil persist in the earth? Answer my question. This is my debate. I set the terms, right? Either answer my question or admit that you're wrong. I have left-brained questions. I want left-brained answers. And to be sure, there's a time and a place for that sort of thing. There are good and healthy ways to engage those kinds of debates. But often, probably more often than I'd like to admit, what I really need is not an answer to some question that I have framed within the confines of what is plausible to me. But rather, what I need is an encounter with God that transforms my sense of what is plausible to begin with and then leads me to reframe all of my questions about everything. And the book of Revelation is this portal through which we encounter this God. It doesn't generally give straightforward left brain answers to any of our questions. But in its own way, it speaks vividly and powerfully to all of them. When we come to Revelation with our own agendas and questions firmly set and then determine its value based on how well it plays by our rules, we end up really missing the good stuff. Because what are we doing? We're either, A, we're trying to shoehorn the message of this book into our pre-existing categories, and we end up, therefore, reading it in all sorts of weird ways that it was never meant to be read. Or, B, we just dismiss the book as crazy, fanciful literature that is of no apparent value to us whatsoever. But for those who are open and willing to receive it, Revelation is a gift. It's like a pair of new glasses that you put on and begin to see the world through new eyes. It's a source of beauty and comfort and hope. And this passage that we just read from Revelation chapter 8, it speaks particularly to our longing for justice and are wondering whether God ever hears and responds to our prayers. Here's the scene. If you want to just look at that text from Revelation, here's the scene. We've, we've come to this end of the section in which the Lamb, who is Jesus, opens the seven seals on the scroll of human history. That's what we've studied over the last couple of weeks, right? And as each seal is opened, we see like wild, dramatic scenes unfold, and we get horsemen and angels visiting the earth and revealing God's power over all creation, both in the natural world and this world of human empires. 
it's, it's vivid, it's wild, it's imaginative. And the opening of the first six scrolls, that movement builds toward this climax at the end of chapter 7 that we saw last week in which we get this vision of multitudes from every tribe and tongue and nation robed in white and waving palm branches gathered around the heavenly throne of God, worshiping and praising God and the Lamb. The praise of the multitudes of all the angels and all the people, it's resounding in heaven as this joyful noise swells to a thunderous crescendo. And this is where our passage begins. And then the Lamb opened the seventh seal, and there was silence. There's silence in heaven for about half an hour. Have you ever experienced sudden silence? like when a hush falls over a crowd? What's that like? You're at a party and everybody's talking and then all of a sudden it's quiet. Or you're in a crowd that's all a buzz and then suddenly silence. What's that like? What do you do? What does everyone in the room do? your attention is immediately shifted, right, from whatever it is you were doing, whatever it is you were talking about, or even with whomever you were talking. Your attention is immediately shifted to see what is it that's happened, or who has come into the room, or what is so important or significant that everything else stops. The hush falls over the crowd. Is someone speaking? Did someone significant just walk into the room? Is the show beginning, the one we've all come to see? What's happening? The silence and the scene in Revelation is pregnant with this possibility and anticipation as all the attention, this thunderous praise toward God comes to a sudden hush. And the whole company of heaven and earth is on the edge of its seat. There were several times this week where I just sort of let my mind wander and wondered, what would, what would it be like? What if I preached a silent sermon this week? What would you do if I stepped up to the microphone and said, let us pray, and then stood here kind of like this for half an hour? I remember in college coming across a study that said something about how in your average group, 11 seconds is pretty much like the threshold of how long a group will tolerate silence before someone will have to break it. And what would you do with half an hour? You'd be like calling an ambulance, right? I'd be, what happened? What happened to Chris? Escorted off by police, probably. Silence. The lamb opened the seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for half an hour. All the voices hushed, the heavenly party was stilled, and everyone looked and listened to see what would happen next. And what we see in the silence is seven angels are given seven trumpets. And then another angel comes to this golden off altar of God and offers up incense mixed with the prayers of the saints and the smoke rises before God. What is so important 
that all the praising multitudes and company of heaven come to a sudden deafening silence. It's the prayers of the saints being offered up as incense to God. God creates space to hear with undivided attention the prayers of his people gathered through all of history. And as the seventh seal of the scroll is opened, there is silence and God listens. He hears, he knows, he cares, and then he responds. The prayers that ascend to God are mixed with the fire of his spirit and thrown back down upon the earth as the great yes and amen to all the longings of the saints descend from heaven. And then it says the angels with the seven trumpets get ready to blow them. This pregnant pause. You see, what's happening here is an image of temple worship from the Jerusalem temple, and it's playing out on the whole face of the earth. So at the temple in Jerusalem, what would happen is that uh, at the time of daily sacrifice or at the time of the big annual feasts, a trumpet would blow to signal the time of the sacrifice. But before the trumpet could blow, the priest had to go in and offer incense upon the altar And once the incense was offered, then the trumpet could blow. And here in Revelation, John sees this vision of this moment when the temple worship ripples through all of history and all of creation as the prayers of God's people rise as incense before the great trumpet blast. And if we were to keep reading forward into the rest of this chapter and the next one, what we'd see is that as these seven angels blow their seven trumpets, we get another cycle of high drama scenes, very similar to the ones that followed the seven seals. There are several cycles of seven that go through the book at this point. And the scenes that follow each trumpet blast echo the plagues from the Exodus story. And they symbolize God's powerful work through the prayers of his people. You see, Revelation is written in the context of the Roman Empire violently persecuting the Christian church. And this vision of Revelation is intended to remind persecuted followers of Jesus that God's power is greater than the power of the empire. These people who were openly mocked when they spoke the truth, people who held their beliefs sincerely but were persecuted and even put to death for holding their own beliefs and practicing their own practices. They needed a reminder that the power of God is greater than the power of the empire. They needed this vision that showed them that there's more to reality than meets the eye. And as they lived in this time and place in which things looked really, really bleak, John's revelation gave them a vision of hope and helped them see that their past and their present was not all that there was, but that their lives were attached to the future that God was promising. It's a vision that helped them see beyond the horizon of their own circumstances and peer into the future of God. 
their life stories were not ultimately defined by what they had already experienced, whether those be triumphs or tragedies or anywhere in between. And their life stories were not ultimately defined by their present circumstances as wonderful or hopeless as those may be at any given moment. But rather, most ultimately, their life stories were defined by their inclusion in the everlasting kingdom that God was bringing on the earth. And they needed to know, they needed to be able to remember and trust that that's true even when they can't see it. Even when everything about their own here and now seems to say otherwise. Even as they would wait in the anguish and weariness of unanswered prayer. Even as they struggle to find hope and struggle to love. Or even as they wonder if God cares at all. Or if God can do anything about their suffering or if their prayers matter. This vision of revelation, it opens a window through which we behold the God who hears our prayers so carefully that he makes the whole company of heaven and earth keep silence. And not only that, not only does God hear our prayers, but he acts on them. Look at the scene, right? What do we see playing out? Our prayers, the prayers of the saints, are part of the chemistry of God's renewal of all things. It's this cocktail of our prayers and this fire that God pours out on the earth as he brings about the great renewal. Which is another way of just saying this. God dignifies our voices by actually giving us agency with him in his grand work of bringing forth his kingdom on earth. Your voice matters to him and to the world. Think about that. It doesn't mean that you or I have magic powers or that if you pray for it, you will get it. Anyone who prays knows that's not the case, right? Anyone who prays knows what it's like to hear silence on the other end, and anyone who prays knows the experience of waiting, often with disappointment, but those who pray and those who've developed a life of prayer most fervently will tell you that they know what it means also to be caught up in something greater than themselves. To have their lives and their words and their desires and their hopes and their dreams drawn up into God's own dream for his world and to the very presence and experience of God himself. People who have cultivated a life of prayer know what did it means to have their own little limited power drawn up into that chorus of the multitude whose prayers rise as incense before the creator and sustainer and redeemer of the world? Many of us here likely know something of that experience, something of knowing a bit of that mystery. But here's the thing. Every single one of us, whether we'll admit it or not, every one of us also knows what it feels like to experience nothing of it, right? To pray and feel nothing. You know that feeling. So do I. 
But the power of prayer that we discover in this vision of the revelation is not a function of our feelings, but rather of the God who remains faithful through all of our seasons of struggle and doubt and faith and enthusiasm and energy and growing cold and distant. The God who creates space in his heavenly throne room to hear us, to hear those who've created space in their lives to hear him. The God who receives our prayers and savors them as he savors us, who keeps silence to hear us, and whose power is greater than all others. Can you just let your imagination run for a minute with this image of our prayers rising before God as incense? What does it mean for us that God's power is greater than all the powers of the earth? And what does it mean that God sees and knows and hears his people? It means this. When you speak truth about injustice that you've suffered, God believes you. He hears your cry. And he's committed to advocate for the cause of justice. That's what it means. And it means when you confess your sins and the ways that you have aligned yourself with purposes contrary to his own, he is willing to forgive. He is merciful. It means when you take refuge in him that he holds you in love and faithfulness all the days of your life. But here's the flip side. It also means this. When we take refuge in worldly systems of power, that allow injustice to persist, or that shore up our own well-being at the expense of others, we have to know that God's power being greater than all others means those power structures will come toppling down. There's no kingdom that lasts other than the kingdom of the lamb who was slain, who rose again, and that is the kingdom God is bringing on the earth to last forever. So the question as the silence persists, as the trumpets blast, as God's kingdom is made known on the earth through this revelation of Jesus Christ, will you turn to him? Will you offer up your prayers for yourself and for your neighbor, for your enemy? Will you let them rise like incense? Will you let your loves and your loyalties be drawn to him? And will you allow the vision of his kingdom of justice and peace to transform your own hopes and dreams for your own life, to transform your own love for your neighbor? This is the God before whom all heaven and earth keep silent. And in the silence, our prayers rise before him and he takes them into his nostrils before breathing out on the earth his everlasting kingdom of justice and peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we come to you with gratitude, with love, asking for your mercy and for your peace. And we pray that you would meet us in your kindness.
and that in our stillness and in our silence that you would hear our prayers. We do pray for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven and we do pray that you would pull back the curtain and show us yourself in such a way that you give us hope in the midst of our here and now that often makes us feel hopeless. So would you make your light to dawn in our darkness? Would you make your power operative in our midst? And would you give us grace to live with Jesus and like Jesus toward you and toward our neighbors all the days of our life as we hope in your coming kingdom? We pray through the name of the Lamb who was slain. Amen.